Hello, I'm Harry. Hello, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. Rory, that is correct. Today we are discussing a game on film, though more accurately on a DVD, which is shaped a bit like a cog, which you could place inside a machine which can create a clue and display this movie. What is the movie we're doing today? Professor Layton and the Eternal Diva. Hooray. Gotta say, I am I don't consider myself terribly smart. And so I am very much a Professor Layton series virgin. I've kind of almost like avoided playing these games because I know <laughs> I'd be spending 30 odd pounds on the privilege of getting insulted. <laughs> so I barely get past the uh, enter your name screen in some games sometimes. But you've played these games a little bit more than me, haven't you? Yes. Well, the Professor Layton series, let us go back to the advent of the Nintendo DS. Mm. And that halcyon days of Nintendogs, puppies licking your face. Yep, and more crucially, brain training. Oh, yes. Because Nintendo, I guess at this time of the Nintendo DS, the first Professor Layton game was in 2007, and Nintendo was kind of... It was in one of its peaks of popularity Mm. because you had the Nintendo Wii and the Nintendo DS kind of around the same time. People who would normally not play video games would be playing video games. Exactly. It was a way with the Wii, particularly with stuff like Wii Sports, was a way to attract people who were terrified of video game controllers and working out how video games could be played. So it was a way of broadening their user base Mm. and involving lots of different kinds of people who wouldn't usually pick up a video game. Some people wanted to have their brain trained. I wanted to have my face licked by a CGI doggy. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I actually did play brain training, actually. I I did buy into the whole brain training. You quickly discover it doesn't really train your brain. It just makes you very good at the five or six particular games. Yeah. And I think with, I guess, yes, with brain training, it did definitely capture a lot of people's attention and um, uh, really opened up the idea of video games to different people and made them seem less scary, I think, because you had the kind of stylus and mm-hmm. touch screens and not too many complicated buttons to deal with. And I think eventually this all led to the Wii getting Wii Fit, I think some lady tried to sue Wii Fit because Wii Fit told her she was fat or something. Okay. So I think maybe <laughs> we stopped doing... I it, think I, it wasn't worth the effort. I think it was maybe this week I saw uh, someone who'd been playing Wii Fit every single day since its release. Oh, wow. Like, still now. Clearly, it's definitely chimed with certain people. I think there's... Well, it sounds like one person. It sounds like the guy who celebrates Christmas every day. Yeah, shine with one maniac. Mm. Um, but with the Professor Layton series, it kind of melds brain training style puzzles with a narrative structure. And the Professor Layton series 
was created by a company called Level 5. Mm-hmm. And it was created by the creator and founder of that company, Akihiro Hino. And Level 5 are probably just as well known for Nino Kuni, which are the RPGs. The first one was uh, co-created with Studio Ghibli. They also uh, were responsible for RPG football game Inazuma 11. And uh, more recently, I guess they've been successful for Yokai Watch, which is the kind of Pokemon challenging franchise, all based mm. around Japanese ghosts and supernatural lore. But then Pokemon Generation 8 is coming out, and we'll see how that goes. Hamish, our brother, on a previous Pokemon episode, mm. talked about how Yokai Watch. Um, in a way, revolutionized those sort of games and Pokemon had to really update themselves in order to compete with the new contender. But I And again, this year is going to be uh, Detective Pikachu and we're solving mysteries just like Professor Layton. So exactly. it's all coming full circle. Exactly. And whereas um, Detective Pikachu is, has a penchant for coffee, Professor mm-hmm. Layton is more of a tea drinking man. I don't know. Does he drink tea in this? Yeah, he does. Or, or if he's what is odd about this franchise? I mean, the, this film I'm assuming is set in the same country as the the games, so it's the UK. Well, so he'd be yes. eating pork pies. <laughs> well, um, in the at least in the second game, there is part of it. There is a tea-based mini game oh. where you have to find different blends of tea and then I think serve them to the characters that you encounter. And then they give you special hint coins to help with puzzles or even unlock new puzzles just by making sure you serve them the perfect blend of tea that appeals to their tastes. That's like, that's a game in of itself. I love to be like doing a cookery game and how well you follow the instructions gives you just better points, like S rank (laughs) at the end. Um, I know these aren't Nintendo games, but they're very closely associated with Nintendo. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think Nintendo would have so much fun like on the Switch or something where you could be chopping things up and serving clues. and <laughs> Chopping things up and serving clues. Uh, so what you'd do, you'd make a recipe, you'd upload it to your Switch um, unit, and then you'd walk around the high street, your actual high street in real life, showing people food, and then they could give you hints because of us watching this film and in preparation for it, I have been playing quite a bit of my uh, 3DS now. Mm-hmm. And one of the functions of 3DS was that if you walk around and have it on, that other people who also had the 3DS, you if you pass them, you get, I think, Street Pass. Mm-hmm. And that would mean that their little me would appear on your 3DS and you could then use them in, in extra mini games. But I've been walking around for the past week with my <laughs> 3DS switched on not a single spot pass. And I remember a time when I would come home and I'd have a full house of spot pass me's. But did you have, did you and the person you pass both have to have Professor Layton's? No, no, you both just had to have a 3DS and switched on. Okay. Sometimes you would then in those games, if Mm -hmm. they had the same game, then they would appear and, you know, you could challenge them in certain things. I can't imagine that sort of thing being introduced into modern smartphones because that would just open your phone up to be hacked by randos in the street. But there are things where people can log into your phone. Like, if you leave your phone open to people do that, people can drop into your phone and send you messages and stuff. If you're crazy. Hmm. Oh, they had the same fingerprint as you. It's <laughs> <laughs> not so secure as it sounds. What if someone does have the exact same fingerprint? 
Well, you know what? Yeah. I, I recently I got a new phone with a fingerprint um, scanner to let myself lock in, and I, I locked myself out. I couldn't lock out, and then I realised that not all my fingers had the same fingerprint, <laughs> and I've been trying to open it with my thumb all this time. It's like, ugh, so yeah. stupid. That's why when you get arrested in the movies, they don't mm. just ink one of your fingers and just wait. It's yeah. okay; they're all the same. And that's why I would suck at any Professor Layton game because if I couldn't work out that clue, yeah, I'd not a chance in heck. I think you've also been playing, um, is it Professor Layton meets Phoenix Wright? Yeah, so that's the... Is it versus Phoenix Wright? Or yeah, meets? it is versus Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney, which, okay. which I don't know, was unusual. Like, just to say take, he, Phoenix Wright's going to take down Layton. They're in direct competition, yeah. He's um, Professor Layton for all those uh, murders that he committed, and Phoenix Wright is going to finally serve justice upon him. Or maybe Professor Layton decides to be a lawyer, and... Um, <laughs> the judge says, "How does your, uh, how does the defendant plead?" And Leighton goes, "A true gentleman is always patient." And then they wait. <laughs> in I noticed in the film, Professor Leighton used the phrase "puzzle" and "mystery" interchangeably. Mm. Is a puzzle the same as a mystery? I think the mystery is the overarching. Thing they have to solve, mm. but on the way they encounter little puzzles, which will help them either unlock further information, or sometimes they just do puzzles for fun. I think maybe life is more fun if you're perpetually positioning any challenge as a mystery. So if I, you know, where's my mobile phone? Another mystery to solve. <laughs> it's on the cistern. Ah, oh, I've done it. <laughs> I've cracked the case. Cracked the case. Just or as, exactly or as, where it was yesterday. Or as Leighton would say, a true gentleman mm. never leaves a puzzle unsolved. Hmm. I <laughs> don't know if I necessarily agree with that. The character of Leighton, in the games, I again, I imagine he's sort of a blank slate because even though he is a character, he is also your proxy. He's basically you. But I, I, I got a hint that his creator was a fan of Phileas Fogg. And I can gel with that. I love... Well, here's the thing. I was at a... Like a team building exercise at work. And one of the icebreakers was we had to say people who inspire us and write it down. And the whole... I thought you were going to say one of the challenges was you had to get around the world in 80 days. <laughs> no, that was a very good team building exercise. <laughs> Everyone in my office, they revealed their cards. And it was people like Mahatma Gandhi, Muhammad Ali... I was the only person who picked a fictional guy, <laughs> and I've chose Phileas Fogg, who is the ultimate gentleman. Yeah, I, I think there is definitely the two main characters of the Leighton games. Then are Professor Herschel Leighton mm. and Luke Triton. There is a Phileas Fogg passepartout parallel, I suppose. Mm -hmm. I know that the creator of the game mentioned that Sherlock Holmes and Watson were very much a kind of idea in terms of who they were and the relationship with. Professor Layton as Holmes and Luke the Apprentice kind of in a Watson mould. Do you think, um, is it Holmes in the books uses cocaine or heroin or something? Yeah, I, I think... Do you think Layton has got a big... A, a got little, an opioid habit yeah, or something? he's got a little um, miniature drug lab in his hat. It helps me solve puzzles. Yes, I'm, surely it does. <laughs> and keeps me awake for this 24 hours. A, this is in a nebulous point in British history where it may or may not be legal. I guess the sort of setting is uh, Victoriana, but modern enough. So there are things like TVs and automobiles, but in a kind of... Cars and aeroplanes. 
And I think I think Japan in particular does have a fondness of a sort of vague British European style mm. setting. There's there's a lot of media and culture there which um, uses that as a background to. There's like a Detective Conan, which is a kind of manga and anime, which is like about a junior detective, mm-hmm. like based on Arthur Conan Doyle, because he's called Conan. That has a lot of those elements, and I think he, a lot of anime maybe has more sort of French, really? European grandeur as, as part intertwined with the fabric of the piece. It took me a long time to get over the fact that this film has a very harpsichord-heavy soundtrack, mm. but it is meant to be Britain, <laughs> and like. It's, it's like sort of having part... Scottish bagpipes going over Wales, where you think that's nah, not quite right. Yeah, there's a bit <laughs> of most bit of harpsichord, bit of um, uh, accordion, and I mean it, the... Japanese opera. <laughs> yeah, a bit of Japanese opera thrown into the mix. One of the things talking about sort of British influence stuff is uh, so I lived in Japan for a bit when I was studying Japanese at university, and one of the first things. I did when I went out there, because I'd moved out there, was go to a 100 yen shop, mm-hmm. because I needed to get supplies for my uh, time in Japan. And is that a Japanese version of Poundland? Japanese version of Poundland, dollar store, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. Okay. And one of the very first purchases I made was a small mug, which said on it, British Bistro Bear. <laughs> and on the back of the mug, mm-hmm. it reads... Bistro Bear is the best gentleman of a British tradition. He is cleverly refined, is very stylish and kind. Ladies enjoy conversation with him. Best 100 yen I ever spent. Yeah. Do you still have that mug? I think it's at our parents' place. Oh, all right. Okay. But it's it's one of those things where there is a, a I guess, a kind of English gentleman ideal, which mm. I think Leighton and the wider world inhabits we we as we record this they've just announced the new pokemon game uh sword and shield and it seems to be set in the uk and there's been a lot of fun on the internet about the people's perception of the uk versus uh reality reality and yeah we won't go down that route but it's um it's quite a shock to the system when people describe Things like Harry Potter and James Bond as part of the appeal is that it's quite exotic and, mm. and, and it's not like a dystopian hell for hole where the people are as miserable as the weather. But in terms of the games then, so there are, I think, six main titles and a few spin-offs. So I played the very first game, Professor Layton and the Curious Village. Did you finish them? All? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I can now throw, throw them against the wall. <laughs> so I finished... Yeah, Professor, Professor Layton and the Curious Village. I played the second game, Professor Layton and Pandora's Bots. Sometimes they have different titles in different territories. And then, yes, I'm in the middle of playing Professor Layton versus Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. I kind of left it for a bit, and because we were doing this episode and watching the movie, I decided to get back into it, and I am enjoying it again. So how long did it take you to remember what on earth you were doing? Uh, luckily it wasn't in the middle of a court case, because yeah. those can be complicated. It was... Wow. You seem to zone out for eight months there, Phoenix. <laughs> I was just um, thinking, the jury is guilty. Going, the jury Not is guilty. trapped in this hotel. <laughs> yeah, it's 12 very angry men. Yeah. Uh, most of them dead. Yeah. So I played those. Those are the kind of mainline DS and 3DS titles. 
there's an original trilogy and then there's a prequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. And this film is set in the middle of that mm. prequel trilogy. So there's some stuff which I wasn't familiar with and some stuff which I was. It started as a game. Since then, Professor Layton has had many exciting adventures, selling 7.3 million copies to fans all over the world. Today, we visit one of the Professor's earliest, most intriguing investigations with his apprentice number one, Luke. That's me, by the way. As Professor Layton makes the leap from game to movie. You know, the Layton franchise is still going. There's been iOS Android spin-offs, and a recent game was about Professor Layton's adopted daughter called Catriel. She was in a, in a kind of spin-off game which was on mobile, but then has since been ported to 3DS and to Switch. And I there's imagine even... Luke would be quite jealous, <laughs> the, the assistant. You got an adopted daughter? Yeah. yeah she's my number one assistant now. <laughs> oh! <laughs> But at the moment, actually, there is an anime spin-off okay. currently screening on Japanese TV, which does feature Catriel. But I guess it's set a little bit in the future because Luke has sort of grown up oh. and he's not the main character, nor is Leighton. It's more following Catriel's investigations. Has, so. it, has he grown up to be like a hot anime boy? Or I, I, think, it's, I think it's all in keeping in the same style oh, yeah. of the... Of the Games. I guess, well, I think, should we talk about the style, about the film a little bit later on? Well, I mean, we can talk a little bit about it now because the look and feel of the film, it matches the cutscenes in the games almost identically. So do the games have animated cutscenes? Yeah, yeah. Right, because I, I do have thoughts on the look. Because okay. I feel that what tra- was probably quite impressive in the games, uh, I didn't 100% work in the films okay and I think because the the looks of people can be wildly different Mm. um some people have enormous heads some I mean I feel like nobody wants to talk to Professor Layton about his eye issue (laughs) because he's got dots for eyes I did notice there's one or two other background characters with dots for eyes but lots of different eye styles and that's a choice, I suppose, but it kind of did throw me quite a lot. Okay. Uh, is it Oswald Whistler? Yeah. He's got like an Adrian Brody level nose mm-hmm. um, sticking out there or like, or Pinocchio you know, after a good, a good spout of lying. Good, good spout good of lying. Good spout of lying. Is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. It just, I guess having seen Pokemon the first movie and things where they take a familiar animation style and they just give it a little bit extra care. Um, I feel the animation of this didn't seem terribly cinematic, apart from, I guess, some CGI cogs and some fire, which you do get. Um, mm. I guess another example is, is uh, you know, t- to Teen Titans go to the movies or Beavers and Butthead do America. They just have more painterly backgrounds. They just look a bit easier on the eye. And I feel this felt like a very own brand version of Studio Ghibli. You know, okay. It wasn't quite as lush. The production company is this collaboration between PA Works, mm-hmm. who were the animators on the games. So mm. that explains exactly why the look, the design. I mean, the games have a menagerie of different looking characters, 
There's just some quote-unquote money shots when the Eternal Diva sings and the camera's meant to pan around. Now, panning a camera around a character in animation is the, one of the most difficult things you could possibly animate. Still, though, it is your money shot, and it just looked incredibly awkward because she was moving her arms at the same time, and the camera seemed to be bouncing in and out towards her, and it was like, ooh, gosh, not good. But the the other production company on the film is OLM, and they are responsible for the Pokemon TV series and the Pokemon movies. They also did movie versions of Inazuma 11 and Yokai Watch, and they are apparently working on a Nino Kuni movie, and they also did the Animal Crossing movie too. So, I do want to see that one. Yeah. Definitely, I'm just trying to think when I'm most miserable in the year, and uh, I want to watch Animal Crossing then. Yeah, that'll help with seasonal affective disorder probably. Yeah, our post-Brexit episode maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's Leighton in a nutshell. But do we want to talk about the film in a nutshell? Well, we found the product description on Amazon, which we assume is the back of the box. Yeah, are you making sure it's for the film and not one of the other uh, games? Um, well, the first line is the professor's first movie and his toughest puzzle yet, so I assume it's the film. Okay, there might be another mystery though. The professor receives a letter from his old student, the famous opera diva Janice Quatlane, who will soon perform at the legendary Crown Patone Opera House. She sends Leighton two tickets and invites him to attend as her special guest. Meanwhile, a rash of disappearances hits London. Two young schoolgirls are the latest victims and the professor suspects it's related to the strange things that are happening at the theatre. As Leighton's assistant Remy stays behind to investigate the case of the missing girls, Leighton and Luke travel to the opera house to solve their toughest puzzle yet, the mystery of eternal life. Based on the UK's favourite Nintendo DS game, Professor Leighton and the Eternal Diva is a brand new adventure starring the professor, his loyal assistant Luke, and introducing a whole new cast of colourful characters. Produced by Level 5, the creators of the multi-million selling Professor Layton puzzle games, The Eternal Diva is the professor's toughest puzzle yet. It said, did it say Remy on there? I thought the character was called Emmy. There's it says few... Emmy on the old um, wiki. So... Yeah, there's, there's quite a few moments where... Maybe it's a clue. <laughs> there's quite a few characters whose names we didn't quite catch as they were being delivered and we had to check later and it doesn't help because there are some characters who are actual other characters in the film multiple identities and mm. such so keeping tabs on who was who also is sometimes tricky this is set in the uk but everyone has very strong british accents which even i fail to understand <laughs> and i don't know if the cast the english voice dub cast because uh, he watched this in the dub are English or just put it on English accents. I think at one point Professor Layton says, into that cabin. And I thought he said cavern. Another, another point, somebody talks about a little girl saying, well, she's a bitch shy. <laughs> oh no, he goes, she's a bitch shy. And I thought, I think it's a bit. There was a little bit of a, they left the sound of the shh a little mm. bit too long between the bit. So, well, actually, okay, so talking about, we'll talk about the main two characters then, Professor mm. Layton and Luke. Which one of those do you think is voiced by a British actor? And which one of those oh. do you think is voiced by an American actor? Ooh, I'm pretty sure this is, I told you not very good with puzzles. <laughs> it's a binary choice. Oh, um, well, I'm, I guess I'm going to have to say the American 
kid, Luke, sounds like every American kid I've heard in animation doing a, a British voice. So I'm assuming the answer is Luke. Incorrect. <sighs> so Professor Layton is voiced by an American actor, Christopher Robin Miller. But mm-hmm. interestingly enough, yeah, the voice of Luke mm-hmm. is different in the American version as it is to the British version. But the American voice actor who plays Luke in the American version of the games still does a British accent. Yeah. But just not a particularly good one. So So what was I listening to now? Because I can't tell if that's a good one or a bad one. Well, it's good at what it is, but it is a British voice actress. Maria Mm. Darling plays the voice of Luke in non-US territories and also in the dub we watched. So the dub we watched has the original voice actors from the games. Okay, good. And that's why I wanted to watch it in that dub, because I was familiar with the games, and it would seem weird to me if they suddenly did speak in different voices. There is some debate as to who has the better version voice of Luke. The American voice is okay as a British accent. It wobbles quite a bit, but it's definitely an older-sounding Luke. Mm, I mean, I'm 99% sure you probably like the version you first played with. Of course, yeah. I mean, yeah, it is a little bit stereotypical Cockney, slight little, I'll help you he out, both, Professor. He, he both looks and sounds exactly like the e-boy from uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet. Yeah, a little bit. But yeah, I, what I appreciated with this film as a... I'd, I'd say I was a fan of the games, just because I haven't played them all doesn't mean I, I didn't enjoy them when I did. What I appreciated was the fact that it did very much keep the same style. The music from the games was in the film. They had the main theme. And yeah, it would have been odd to me if it did have different voice actors because, you know, you hear them a lot in the games and the cutscenes. So as as this film is effectively an extended cutscene in a way, mm. um, it would have been odd to me if it had been different. So I'm just interested to think what you thought of the performances, at least of the main two i guess i enjoyed the core governor type performance of of luke and i feel that leighton hmm a curious curious creation is old leighton <laughs> because i think his voice perfectly matches his look in that they're very level slightly I want to say dull, but I think that gives it a disservice because I, I don't think it was lazy. I think that's the thing. He's, mm. he's, he, I, I quite like his, his brown suit. I like how he goes for the orange shirt. It's not a button shirt. So he's got a bit of a, he's sports casual. Um, <laughs> and um, he has got that hat, which hats, which never gets removed mm. ever to the point that his hat is depicted on the door of his office because that's his instead of a name it's a hat i guess around town he's known as the guy of the hat yeah um well sherlock holmes is known for his distinctive headgear i know gosh that the sherlock tv show was really (laughs) they kind of felt they didn't need to use that hat and then it became a thing in the Mm. later seasons yeah, I don't know. I, again, let's go back to my original statement. I feel like he perhaps works slightly better as a video game character. I feel Luke has more personality because yeah. he's obviously the guy you're playing off in the game. Because he's such a blank slate, I did spend the whole film in my own head canon thinking that he was a psychopath or a murderer. <laughs> because just skipping ahead slightly, uh, uh, the thrust of 
the plot or the, the big mystery at the, in the sort of second as the second act starts spoilers for professor layton and the eternal diva yeah <laughs> is that all these people are on a boat they have to solve a mystery lest they die there can only be one winner and Professor Layton being the one guy on the boat who's who's um, bread and butter is solving mysteries must have been like, I'm totally going to win this. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there are moments. I mean, the, the big confusion, not really confusion, but the, the, bit, the big thing I felt about the film, and I thought that's kind of odd, is how everyone knows that there can be only one winner, but they're all helping each other out. Mm. You'd expect a battle royale sort of scenario where everyone starts to murderize people, or it feels like this is an, uh, the film Saw, but for kids. <laughs> I guess yes. One could read it as, oh, he's just very calm and composed, and he's using logic to solve the problem. Mm. Or it's just that he knows best, and he really doesn't care about anyone's emotions. No, <laughs> and he's just like, that's okay if everyone dies, because I know I'm going to win. So I'm just going to stand here smiling enigmatically. Mm. There's a few clues on this boat. And the second one, everyone gets it wrong and goes one way and Leighton walks the other way. And he just he just brushes aside. Like, yeah, they can all go to their deaths. Yeah, he just assumes that doesn't matter because... Logically, there can only be one winner. <laughs> it might as well be me. It's a zero sum, Luke. <laughs> By the way, Luke, <laughs> but only one of us can survive. And the series is not called Luke, is it, Luke? <laughs> yeah, it's not Luke and the Curious Village, is no. it? Anyway. But, I mean, you say Professor Layton is the main character, but I think in the games, you, you don't really play as one of them. Mm. You're sort of playing with them together the whole time. So. You're, the, you're the third member of Bros. Yeah, you I mean, just not get acknowledged. Not, but they're not talking to you at any point. So I think it is just, yeah, you're kind of with them together. So I don't really think of Professor Layton necessarily being like the main character in some ways. I think you're almost playing as Luke because you're the apprentice puzzler and you're trying mm. to solve puzzles with him and, you know, learn from him. And I feel like that's the relationship you kind of have with his character in the game. Sort of. I guess that reveals the fact that Professor Layton ain't smart. It's you, the player, who's smart, and he's getting all the glory. Yeah, he's like, I knew that, but I just wanted to see if you knew that. Yes. A true gentleman always fails to acknowledge his compatriots <laughs> when solving a mystery. Once again, the Professor made the front page of the London Times. But the Professor is not just a brilliant puzzle solver, he is also an eminent archaeologist, archaeologist, puzzle solver, and true gentleman. I'm Luke, his apprentice. I handle the professor's letters requesting him to solve puzzles. I also make tea and tidy up because the professor never has time. My special talent is that I can talk to animals. Sort of. I've been the professor's apprentice for a while now. I'm learning to solve puzzles like the professor, and I hope that one day I too will be a true gentleman. But the film itself, as it kicks off, we're dropped in kind of mid-mystery. Mm. They are busy solving the tail end of another case. Someone's stuff. built an entire building around this one little... You know, crystal maze style slot puzzle. You mean Big Ben was built around this yes. slot puzzle and not exactly. the other way around? Yeah, exactly. 
when they said they were, I mean, Big Ben recently underwent some refurbishment, but it was just to mask Professor Layton coming in and putting a triangle piece into a triangle hole. And then he's meant to be a big, smart man. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I've seen children do that. I probably would have played the games if it was called Big Smart Man and the Curious Village. <laughs> uh, that's much more up my street. He's big. He's smart. He's a man. Yeah. Two out of three of my favourite things. Well, he is an archaeologist, puzzle solver, and a true gentleman. And the idea of a true gentleman... Plus actor. Plus actor. Plus dreamweaver. <laughs> he is... The idea of a true gentleman and how to become a true gentleman and imparting the knowledge of what a true gentleman represents is key to Professor Layton mythos. Mm. I was obsessed with being a true gentleman after reading Phileas Fogg, and then I looked up the dictionary definition of gentleman, and it actually just means you own a quantity of land. Okay. So, so Luke just needs to make, you know, make a few bob. Is that like gentry man, then? Is Pretty that where much. It comes from? Okay. Yeah, so um, you've been barking up the wrong tree there, Layton. <laughs> you dumb shit. <laughs> we start it off kind of mid-case being solved, and the culprit is a character called Don Paolo, who is a antagonist in the games and yeah. they retire to his abode yes and they put on a record mm-hmm. and i think only at the end of the film we discover this is sort of a bookend a bookend or a flashback i think it's a way to sort of branch the original trilogy events and ah. the prequel trilogy events because you can tell it's the prequel trilogy well the prequel games in which the film is set because luke is not wearing his jumper that's like that's by jaw dropping. Oh, the, I noticed that he didn't wasn't wearing a jumper, and there must have been a reason. Yeah, that's how he looks in the prequel games, and also sorry, with or without jumper in the prequel games. I've just without, watched this film without jumper. Okay, is there like a, a really annoying subsection of fans like with Star Trek who are <laughs> perpetually complaining how Star Trek Discovery can't be canon because the technology doesn't match up? It says you think you find in Professor Layton they had cars with diesel engines, but diesel wasn't invented. Me, 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 me. I'll be honest, I don't know much about the Layton fandom. I haven't really investigated. Okay, well, hashtag Professor Layton in all our tweets yeah. and see if anyone can school us. Yeah, exactly. See if we get any bites. And then we can block them. <laughs> Please contact the show. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> Do you want to be blocked? So yeah, anyway, they're reminiscing about a case three years ago. When uh, Luke doesn't seem to have aged down at all. I'm not too sure how old Luke is supposed to be. Some, I mean, there are some somewhere written somewhere that maybe he's like 12, 13 or mm. maybe, but I think he's more like 8, 9, 10 or something. And I think he's more of a Bart Simpson, Lisa Simpson age. Mm. Well, he's definitely of an age where three years makes a difference. Yeah. So yeah. Is, is, Professor, is everyone searching for the secret of eternal life in this film? <laughs> and then Professor Layton's sidekick hasn't aged in three years. Maybe... <laughs> We just take a blood sample. See, see what's going on there with old Luke. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you mean Luke by genetic experiment? Well, <laughs> I, I suppose. Yes. I mean, we could investigate the Detragon, but um, for a bit longer. And then if all else fails, we'll um, dissect Luke. <laughs> <laughs> Professor, this hurts. <laughs> a true gentleman never complains. A true gentleman anything. never uses anaesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I could see him say that stuff. That's the scary thing. Yeah. That's the thing. He could say anything. How do you think I obtained all this knowledge? Mm. Through your brain powers. Opens it. Opens his the office Luke's never allowed into, and his brains and jars. Mm-hmm. Mm. And a love swing. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
three years. Uh, okay, three years earlier. Flashback to. <laughs> Again, I can just. <laughs> Professor, what are you doing? A true gentleman never asks personal questions. <laughs> <laughs> true gentleman should lock the door. <laughs> Touche. So the case that they are reminiscing about mm. involves Janice, who is an opera singer and former student of Professor Layton. And she has sent a letter to Professor Layton to say that a friend of hers, Melina, who passed away the previous year, she believes to have been reincarnated as a seven-year-old girl. And this kind of threw me. <laughs> yeah. And this girl informs Janice that she has been given the gift of eternal life. We've got a few names here. What was the name of the... Janice. Yes. Janice's friend, Melissa. Melina. Melina. Jessica's... Janice. <laughs> Janice's friend, Melina. Yes. Uh, died last year. Yes. And then a little girl. Yes. Claims she's been possessed. She is the reincarnation of. Reincarnation of someone who died last year. Or I guess possessed, because if she's seven years old, then she can't have been reincarnated. I would assume so. I mean, I once had some friends who, they were talking about reincarnation. And they were saying, oh, I always thought growing up, it's not that you, you your consciousness, consciousness gets reborn in a new body. It transfers to a new body. And my other friend said, oh, yeah, me too. And they, they sort of took that as proof that they must be onto something because they both had the idea separately. <laughs> Two people believe the same thing, so it must be fact. Mm, bloody hell. Does, does, does the little girl have a name yet? I don't believe so, but I think we are to assume that it is Melina. But I think they call her Nina. But I didn't... I thought, oh, do the other games count have possession? Well, so... I mean, just side note, in Phoenix Wright, a lot of his defence seems to rely on a psychic. Yeah, well, in the crossover with... Professor Layton and Phoenix Wright, they do find themselves in a strange medieval fantasy land run by an omnipotent storyteller who can change events okay. through writing stories. If you and were knocked unconscious and you woke up in the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland, would you, would you for a moment think you were transported back in time? No, because it's all robots. Okay. <laughs> would you would you imagine you've been transported into the future where our robot that... overlords have destroyed humanity and they've just got back to the historical level of uh, piracy? I would think I had been transported to Disneyland. Okay, you're, again, you're smarter than hey, I am. I've been on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride three times in the past year. <laughs> oh, yes, I've forgotten that. <laughs> all right, then. What if you were... In Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, would you... Okay. I, I'll, I'll be, I didn't go to It's a Small World, so maybe I would freak out then. <laughs> Where have these tiny robot children come from? <laughs> but yet the Professor Layton games, at least the first two that I played, do flirt with ideas of something supernatural. There's a curse, or there's some sort of magic. Eventually gets solved, and it turns out, oh, it's science, or oh, it's something else. Mm. But it so does flirt got... with the ideas of like vampires and you know strange curses and forces, and it's up to you to sort of investigate and find the truth behind what people believe to be 
peculiar. And sort of, so that he's got like Scooby-Doo levels of retention there, where it's, or they always think it's a mystery, but it's not. So yeah, the, the idea of this kind of mystery of eternal life is very much in keeping mm. with the games, okay. I think, as a plot. So obviously, this is a film. <laughs> and as you mentioned, this is very much like watching a cutscene. So did you find as a player of the games that you felt like it was kind of pointless? Because um, I was watching this properly as a story. But I mean, you know, this because it's so close to the games, were you intrigued by the plot and the twists? Or were you thinking, I, I want to solve a mystery now? Well, no, I, I was because I, I, the games themselves... They're more like an interactive story. Okay. It's more of a point-and-click adventure. Mm-hmm. So even without the cutscenes, they are still very dialogue-heavy. You are meeting characters, you are interviewing them, you're trying to solve a case. But the the way the film pans out and the games do are pretty similar, actually. So mm-hmm. I never really felt like, oh, I wish I was using a, doing a slide-block puzzle right about now, because I think, in a way, the film manages to make the puzzle moments yeah, in some... a way a bit interactive. I mean, we were solving the puzzles ourselves mm. as we went along. So, yeah. you know, it's it's as much a puzzle solver as you would, you know, any kind of detective thriller or, or something. But the mystery to solve in, in this instance, there um, Luke and Leighton are invited by Janice to attend an opera in which she is performing called The Eternal Kingdom. And the Eternal Kingdom is in reference to the legend of Ambrosia, which uh, Devon knows how they make it so dreamy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, Again, it's set in this sort of pseudo-UK, but the um, theatre, the opera house, is attached to the White Cliffs of Dover. Uh And there's some shots which are absolutely Regent Street as well. So that was kind of fun. But yes, I I couldn't help but think of... um, custard throughout this film <laughs> but yeah so the 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 legend of ambrosia apparently professor layton's mentor dr schrader is an expert and the idea is that ambrosia was uh, a kingdom ruled by a beautiful queen who loved music but one day she fell ill and she died just as her followers found a remedy the elixir of eternal life and they decided to all consume this elixir so that they could live forever until they waited for her return. And they clearly don't know how death works. <laughs> I was just like, are we sure she's going to return? <laughs> she the once and future queen? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I'm bored waiting now. How long has it been? Half an hour. Oh, <laughs> nuts. There's nothing to do here. <laughs> and while they're watching this performance, uh, Leighton and um, Luke, they're talking to each other. Yeah. It's like, shut up. <laughs> Stop explaining everything. The opera that they're watching is composed by Oswald Whistler, who is the father of Melina Whistler, who is the friend of Janice who died. And he has composed this in her memory. On the most fantastic machine. Yes. He's a one-man orchestra pit, really. Yeah, it's not like a one-man band like, um, what's-his-face... Um, Bert from Mary Poppins. Yeah, not from not from uh, Sesame Street. <laughs> yeah, not Bert and Ernie. Yeah. No, he was a, he was a, he did a little bit of everything, uh, Bert. Not terribly well. <laughs> <laughs> Jack of all trades. Yeah, yeah. Apart from the trade of one man banding, uh, chimney sweeping, and uh, accents. Yeah, 
<laughs> not bad at chalk art, though. He's not bad at chalk art. He's kind of bad at most things he tries. <laughs> but um, it helps if you've got like a magical friend who could provide for you. This one man opera machine. What's its name? It is the Detragon. Detragon. I'm going to write that down. Detragon. Put that down in your notebooks now. You'll Have need a... it later for a puzzle. Yes, Harry remembered that, or his notebook did. Yeah, so that's quite an impressive machine, but the audience doesn't seem terribly impressed, do they? And as the performance ends, Leighton and Luke are both very appreciative, but I was, thought it was hilarious how everyone had stony faces behind them. <laughs> but this was their plot point. Occasionally, I would think I had um, outsmarted the film. Cracked the case. I had, but that film had outsmarted me because no one cared for the performance. They were there because they'd all been invited well, they had all been promised mm-hmm. that if they stuck around and watched this apparently boring opera, mm-hmm. I thought it was all right. Yeah. I haven't seen much opera, but I'm sure it's a lot like that most of the time. Yeah. I mean, theatre in general. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the theatre. It's all the same. Yeah. Isn't it? He's behind you and all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the classics. <laughs> Here's the thing. You've often said how much you hate a Q&A at the end of a, of a performance. Yeah. And, but this, this Q&A is not a Q&A. It's a promise of eternal life or certain death. <laughs> and you're just, I'm just trying to think, what would we prefer to be, to be at? A toe-curling Q&A about... Or give know, me instant death. <laughs> or instant death. Actually, I went to see uh, Hayley Atwell in Measure for Measure recently, and um, it was a Shakespeare play I'm not familiar with. But the first half ends in such a dramatic way that uh, both my wife and I thought that was the end. And we were halfway out of the theatre before we realised some people were just hanging around of ice creams and thought, oh, yes, intervals are a thing. <laughs> but that's what I was thinking when Leighton and Luke got up and started applauding. I thought, it's only at one, you silly numpties. <laughs> yeah. um, There's another three hours to go. But no, someone comes out, the, I think, I just, I think they say that the owner of the, of the uh, Crown Patone Theatre and says that one person in the audience will win eternal life, mm-hmm. but there is one condition. Those who lose the game they're about to set will lose their lives. Mm. Which, I don't know, would you stick around? The theatre prices these days. <laughs> it's like insane. Hmm. Um, I guess it depends how I felt on the day. <laughs> Do I want eternal life? Is it Wednesday? <laughs> if it was past Wednesday, then I think I could, I could survive the weekend. But if it was Monday night... I guess a theatre that size, you're looking at maybe a thousand? Mm-hmm. One and a half thousand people? One in one thousand chance of... Well, A, survival. Mm. <laughs> and B, eternal life. Mm. It's a tough call. I'm not sure I like those odds. Eternal life is not always it's cracked up to be. I mean, look at Christopher Lambert. True, he's now an elder god, so there's some swings and roundabouts. I was thinking of Highlander. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, um, hmm. I didn't expect very, very. To live well, like I said, forever. actually, if I was given an option to leave, they everyone tries to escape, but yeah. they get trapped. Trapdoors open up in the theatre aisles and they all fall to their, I guess. Oblivion? Well, we are led to believe that. Yeah. But... Um, this is a use certificate. This is a use certificate, and it turns out that this character is... He ends up being someone called... Is it Jean Descoles? Jean Descoles. Jean Descoles. Uh, he is the main antagonist of the prequel trilogy. That's correct. And 
according to his Wikipedia page, which I'm sure he edits himself, <laughs> he makes a point of ensuring all his contestants, all his quote-unquote victims, survive. So he's, okay. he's a man who is not about killing people. Despite the fact at the end of the film he gets into a mech suit and causes all sorts of damage. But on an uninhabited island as well. So, yes. So yeah, but at the time watching this, yeah, I thought everyone died. So just going back to your question, just because our listeners would love to know, given if I could escape... I probably would go home. Yes. And not face... Because as established, I'm not terribly... Like in escape rooms, I just sort of curl up into a corner and whimper. <laughs> I'm like, I am the reason that you can never bring me onto Crystal Maze because you'll get five seconds in the dome. So you don't think you would get very far in this puzzle-solving challenge? This is kind of like a kind of escape room writ large. Yeah. As was promised when you purchased your tickets... Tonight, one person from the audience gathered here will receive the gift of eternal life. The gift of eternal life? It would seem that we're the only ones who didn't know about this, Luke. However, there is one condition. What condition? All of you gathered here are going to play a little game. The rules are simple. The prize for the lucky winner? Eternal life. But those of you who lose will lose your lives. Our lives? What's going on? You must admit this is a small risk for those desiring such a big prize. Eternal life, instant death. Well, what a twist. How ingenious. You can't be serious. We are going to put up with this. Speak for yourself. I've only got six months to live. Yoo-hoo, I'll play your game. I'll play whatever you want. This is just terrible. Let me through. Henchmen appear. Mm-hmm. One of the people in the crowd is an inspector called... Inspector Grosky. Inspector Grosky, who comes up and tries to arrest um, the speaker. Who, But the speaker turns into a balloon. Yeah. And the inspector and the speaker zip off into the sky. <laughs> and I didn't think we were going to see the inspector again. And I just wrote, I wonder if he thought this is how he's going to die. <laughs> he handcuffs a, a, handcuffs a criminal. himself to a puppet balloon that it's bursts yeah. and flies into the air. Mm. But we do see him later having escaped sharks infested waters and says the line, nice try, sharks! <laughs> Which amused me very much so. He's also got, I guess it's like a V-neck dress shirt mm. so it extends far down enough his chest to reveal the biggest mound of chest hair mm. that you've ever seen yes probably yes yeah probably <laughs> yes um it's certainly a look i'm gonna try and adopt um <laughs> at the office i'm gonna t- come to work with, with my tie my necktie actually betwixt my nipples and um, a big mound of of hair. I guess I'll go to the hairdressers at the weekend and see if I can get their floor sweepings. Glue the hair. Just roll around to hairdressers with a sticky (laughs) chest and and then go to Comic-Con. And just say, look, I'm Inspector Grosky. It's like, please, this way, sir. We need to escort you from the premises. Well, you know, I say, I'm... I'm head of British police. And I'll say, oh, sorry, didn't know. (laughs) Scotland Yard. Yes, that one. The, the, the remainders, the, collect, the, the survivors, is what I'm trying to get out, are informed that they have to solve clues and that one of them is going to become immortal. 
And again, as I say, Professor Layton is probably secretly like, oh, my life hasn't been a waste of time. <laughs> like, I can get eternal life if I just outsmart these bozos. I mean, it's like, it is like being in a room of Sherlock Holmes at a, at a like, murder mystery party. <laughs> You're like, like oh, oh Sherlock. <laughs> it's like, you all get given the, the cards and you get one of them, one of you gets the card which says you're the, um, you are the murderer and Sherlock looks at you and goes, it's you. <laughs> like, we've not even, not even started yet, Sherlock. It turns out that the theatre is a boat. Oh, yeah. They are now on a ship in the ocean. The theatre is atop this big ocean liner. I want to know what is the world. So they can't escape. I want to know what the world's most buoyant opera house is now. I'm sure there must be. I mean, cruise ships are huge. Oh, God, yeah. There must be. You know, they usually have massive theatres in them, but I don't know whether it's like full. I mean, imagine like Sydney Opera House on top of a boat. It would quite easily fit. Could happen. Could happen. Just needs a crazy billionaire to make it. Mm. Well, not too crazy because I'm sure there's a lot of logistics involved. <laughs> yeah, let's put the foundations on the roof. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, it becomes a boat. That was quite an impressive little. I mean, this is the point where I did wonder: Do these games get this epic? I mean, they're usually a bit more contained. I think. I think this is one of the cases where it's just it's the same as the games, but we can do stuff on a larger scale. Hence more CG, hence bigger, more variety of locations mm. and bigger um, stuff happening. But they now have to solve uh, these puzzles. Yes. All mysteries, you know, whatever you want to use. And he announces that the first puzzle is puzzle 001. And I thought, oh God, they're going to be 100 plus puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, I think that's a holdover from the games because yes. they, that's how they are displayed, I think. And other, other 100 plus puzzles in the games? Yeah, I think most games have a... Uh, 150 or so. Okay. They, I think, what is the first clue? It is... They have to look around and they have to say what the oldest thing they can see is. Mm. And we were like, ooh, ooh. We were scribbling down in our notebooks what it was and we really wanted to know if we got it right. And all the other characters are looking at all the old artefacts around. There's some historical artefacts and uh, while this is all happening, there's a like a a music sheet playing music, like a, an old piano, like an automatic piano. You and I got it right. Yeah. Because the answer is the stars and the sky, because yeah. the ceiling of the uh, opera house has opened up. I Actually, I put stars, so I would have got half a point. I'm sure you would have been allowed to live. Imagine if it all ended up, if this was a... We find out that this has all been a ruse, but imagine if it got down to the points system and I had a, a massive row. <laughs> I want half an eternal life. What does that mean, Harry? Well, no, not everyone works out. Some people are still hanging around the historical artifacts fall in the pit. Yeah, it does seem like the ship is mainly comprised of trapdoors. Mm. Everywhere they go, if you don't get it right, then trapdoor. Find you in the lower depths later, I guess. I mean, it's better to have a trapdoor and not use it than um, you know, not but, have a trapdoor and really want one. But I feel like it's more like you'd have a trapdoor and then there'd be either the temptation to use it unnecessarily or you would just accidentally use it forgetting you have a trapdoor there. Yeah, this is either going to do the house lights, or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I installed both of these switches next to each other. It does raise a question, What? how new is this opera house? Because this plan to trap people has to... And, and turn and the turn opera house into a boat. 
I mean, maybe that's why the opera tickets... I mean, one of the guests at the opera does say it costs a small fortune to attend. Mm. So maybe the reason... Maybe it's new. I mean, but also because, yeah, maybe the tickets cost so much because this, you know, Jean Destillet had to build an opera house and a boat and a castle and pay all these guards all according to his plan. Yeah, must have been very expensive to get a ticket. Later on, as I say, it's revealed this whole thing was a ruse and this is just a long attempt to get, is it Nina, to the machine to have her brain wiped. We'll get there. But I just wondered, why didn't they just take her directly to the machine in this mysterious island? The whole solving the plot shenanigans seem to serve no proper purpose, less, less, apart from the fact that it's called um, Professor, it's a Professor Layton movie. Yeah, there is definitely cheaper, quicker ways of going about this plan. Um, what is the second, the second clue? Zero, zero, two. The second puzzle to solve is that they need to find the largest crown. Mm. What's the boat called? The Crown Patone. How long does it take them to work this out? Specifically, actually. It takes them a little bit of time. It doesn't dawn on them for a while. I mean, one of the guests does say, there's hundreds of crowns on this silly little ship. Mm. <laughs> Just so matter-of-factly, like, duh. There's Everyone quite, knows there's crowns everywhere. There's quite a cast of characters, um, and they all get little little choice lines. Uh, I was very intrigued by one of them who's doing this because he has six months to live. Yeah. In fact, he's one of the first person people to put up his hands and say, I'm totally on board this... Uh, mystery on the boat when it comes as to a, the as, end as of events the film. unfold <laughs> and we discover there's no elixir of life perhaps an epilogue uh, where everyone's gathered around him and his tearful family and he says i just wish <laughs> i hadn't gone to the opera yeah and then, would have saved his money i wonder if anyone got refunds probably not that's just that's not how real life works yeah <laughs> anyway back to this uh, and cartoon yeah, well, so in order to solve this puzzle, a bunch of people go to the front entrance because there's a big crown there, but Leighton and a, and a few smarter uh, survivors all start clambering on lifeboats and paddle out and then reveal that the opera house itself is shaped like a big crown and that is the biggest crown on the boat. As you said on the lifeboats, we are do have some time with... I guess the band of survivors mm. that we get to know a little bit better. And it's interesting that one of them is a kind of Agatha Christie alike because it's an author who apparently wrote Murder on the Thames is mm. how she introduced herself. And she knows that some of the other people are, are famous individuals. There's a footballer, there's a historian, there's a socialite. And it did definitely feel like a, an Agatha Christie Mm. All these people maybe somehow know each other or at least aware of each other and they've all been brought together because they all want to find the uh, secret to eternal life. Mm. And I, I, I don't know, I enjoyed that. It, it very much captured that feel mm. of that kind of a story. That, you know, no one, no one is murdered apart from like scores of people <laughs> to, to their knowledge falling into pits yeah. in the boat. But I really hope... That if Professor Layton ever discovers a body, there isn't also like a half-completed game of checkers in there because he'll just be drawn to it. Just his eye keeps shifting to yeah. this like chessboard, and he just keeps going 
if I just move that piece, no. I will get checkmate. Yeah. <laughs> Professor, I think there's some skin under the fingernails. Well, yeah, you, you, you just collect that, Luke. Um, I just... Uh, there's a crossword that needs to me. While these guys are on the boat, um, we cut back to um, Remy or Emmy, whatever she's called. Uh, she's doing uh, an, uh, her own investigation and she's going around this um, room and discovers that this, there's this one Ambrosian artifact. It's the only Ambrosian artifact she is told by uh, another assistant. And I did wonder if there's any one artifact, how do you, how do you know it's Ambrosian? Because you kind of need to compare things, surely. Clearly, this I'm legend. Not, I'm not the archaeologist here, but. But clearly, this legend is known enough for there to be an opera all about it. Mm. So it can't have just been this is the only thing remaining of this entire civilization. I mean, but, I suppose it's a little bit, is it like an Atlantis parallel? And it's more about the legends. Yeah. That, you know, we know about the idea of Atlantis based on other people's legends, just like we know about Egyptian gods, not because they existed, but because Egyptians believed in them. And I guess this would be like, oh, here's like Anubis's skeleton or something. We'd be like, oh, okay. So they did exist, but it's the only thing we have. It's kind of fiction as well. It's like me finding like a, a clay pot in New Zealand and saying it was left there by hobbits. It's... Just, Hobbits? Yes, they're, they're real. real. They're real. Yeah. So, what, so she, how did she make the leap? Oh, I think she's just looking at this Ambrosian artifact, and then the news says the boat has gone missing, or the opera house has gone missing. Yeah, and the opera house has gone missing. Survivors, it was a boat. Yeah, and the survivors have have been deposited on land via uh, submarines, which which uh, sprang out of the underside of the boat, which we we didn't neglect to mention blew up after the clue after they observed it being a crown. Yeah, yeah. What? Why? <laughs> what a I don't waste! Know. In claim the insurance later. Yes, it's nefarious <laughs> insurance scam, which is also my opera house slash ship exploded. I mean, right at the very end of the film, after a lot of emotional drama, the inspector comes up to the the villain of the piece and says, "I'm afraid I'm going to have to arrest you." And he goes, "Oh, <laughs> so, oh yeah, that the um, massive insurance scam, the kidnapping, the." Uh, threat on people's lives yeah he's going away for a long time but so she, so uh, emmy decides to get on her. emmy i think she's the secret badass of this film i think she first appears in the prequel uh series of games she's also an assistant and there's a bit of i think fun between luke and emmy i'm going to call her emmy because that's what it said on the wikipedia <laughs> but she like karate kicks wolves later in the film she so they're surrounded by a pack of wolves and whereas most people are like oh my god we're trapped oh my gosh you're going to run away she's, she's like no I'm just <laughs> she, going to kick him in the face there's a pack of wolves so it's a good thing I've got a pack of kicks <laughs> yeah because you were asking me is this like the games where there's like action and sword fights yeah there's I guess in some cutscenes there's a bit of stuff of like but more like running away from explosions kind of thing mm. rather than actual physical combat i mean maybe i i can't remember whether professor layton does kind of roll up his sleeves and punch people in the face i have had just about enough of <laughs> you looking at game faq <laughs> i've had enough with these measuring jugs trying to get the right amount of water <sighs> in each of these things on the scales it's just yeah, just use the marks on the side professor <laughs> <laughs> very good look <laughs> Being a badass, she has her own uh, what seaplane, and she f- 
flies off in that to where the boat should be. Uh, she picks up the inspector, inspector who has been, who's been lost at sea, pursued by sharks <laughs> for a good long while, like overnight. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and, it's like the um, Quint story in Jaws. Yeah, I think anyone who's like ever, doll's eyes. I think anyone who's been eaten by a shark clearly just didn't want to try hard enough to get away. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're not swimming fast enough. <laughs> yeah, you just didn't want it enough. I like annoying football fans when their team. Uh, loses a game I sort of turn to them and I say they obviously just didn't want to win enough <laughs> that really, <laughs> ma- really makes me popular but we cut back to the guys on the boats who arrive at an island and I think at this point you sighed and you said are we ever going to watch a film which doesn't have an island yeah because we've done a fair few a lot of island based movies I mean Dead or Alive Tomb Raider Angry Birds Angry Birds Far Cry Far Cry House of the Dead mm-hmm no, this island is the fabled Ambrosia. Because there's a, a stone with a, with a seal. The seal of Ambrosia. Mm, which uh, um, Leighton recognises. There's also a picnic table. Yeah, there's like a spread laid out with mm, and, a table and chairs. And, and you say, how long has this food been left out in the sun? It's all gone, gone off. thing is, they think maybe this is another puzzle, but then they quickly just think, nah, let's just eat it. <laughs> and again, the weird British accents through me because Luke goes cool this is good but I heard cool this is food and I'm like, yeah Luke clearly <laughs> I mean, what, what you're halfway through eating that you just put something in your mouth and then guess it whether yeah. it's food uh, or not food or not food <laughs> yes <laughs> back home Leighton is trying to work out the square root of some amazing uh, equation and in the other room Luke is like food or not food like, Luke take those stones out of your mouth <laughs> not food but then the wolves appear yeah the next puzzle is wolves yeah I think the wolves appear because I think maybe that's the, our dinner yeah the lunch was intended for them like this beautiful spread with white linen and chairs it's mm. just like that was the wolves lunch I spent ages setting up that multi-tier platter of cakes for the wolves for the wolves but we have kind of I thought they were robot wolves but it turns out they have these just metal clips on their ears I think they only appear properly later though I don't know yeah I, I what did you think when, at the very start, Luke says, oh, and also I can understand animals, sort of? Hmm. I want to know if that's part of the games. It must be, surely. It is, but I'd completely forgotten it was a thing. Mm. So it reminds me of when we did Spy Kids and then they just revealed their telepathy halfway through. Yeah. yeah, he thinks he can speak to animals. In fact, he says, I can speak to the animals sometimes at the start. Yeah. Or sort of. Yeah. I think everyone has that ability. <laughs> yeah, but sit. Fair play to Luke, Luke for going with it. I, I forgot about his talking to animals ability, but then I remembered in the second game you do have a pet hamster. Maybe it's just a very talkative hamster. He just thought all anim- he had the ability to speak to all animals. <laughs> no, nah, it's just a hamster. No, just a hamster and a hamster. Despite the fact that this can often be quite a strange film, I think the strangest moment in the entire film happens where... Three wolves converge on Leighton. They jump at Leighton. And then, I don't know if it's just bad animation or something or other, but Leighton sort of swipes his hand across them and they sort of twist in the air and fall off screens. Almost like he he, he forced pushed them, like a, like a Jedi. Or confused them. Because like, what, what, what? Yeah. people don't usually do that. Leighton used confusion. 
Yeah, very strange, and it's, it's just not acknowledged. Not explained. We had to we had to rewind it and watch it again. He just the, apparently the best way to dismay a mid-flight wolf is to swipe your hand at them. I wondered whether it was like he was moving his hand and they were holograms. And like yeah. he was swiping his hand through them and it was mm. just, yeah, I, I I couldn't work it out either. And again, maybe someone who has played all the games can tell me whether Leighton has like anti-wolf spray on his hands he's or like, something. He's wolf born. <laughs> he was raised by, by a series of very academic wolves. <laughs> <laughs> Even a true gentleman needs to get some exercise. Well, despite the fact that Leighton uh, has displayed an uncanny ability to control wolves, he, he doesn't want to chance it, and so they run. They run away and hide in a cabin. And he immediately goes for a chainsaw. We, we, there was a moment where I thought, oh, is this the bit when he says, crack the door open, and he just thrusts the chainsaw out through the crack into the faces <laughs> did get a little bit of a woodshed evil dead 2 mm. frisson exactly. as soon as i saw the chainsaw and and there's a pov of the wolves approaching the door yeah. and it has like the kind of evil dead force sort of uh pov feel to it yes the one sort of properly cinematic shot is this i think it must have been done in 3d where the camera just races towards the cabin and you think oh christ Luckily, inside the cabin is everything one needs for a gyrocopter or a helicopter. It takes flight. They make like a rowing boat type. It's got, it's got paddles for some reason. I guess to like wings, perhaps mm. to steer. Yeah. But yeah, they managed to basically construct a helicopter in a matter of minutes using mm. just the kind of tools and uh, random bits and bobs you would find in a mm. shed. Yeah, and like, I guess if he treats everything like a puzzle, he can do everything. Yeah, so th- the idea is that uh, um, they're in the midst of solving puzzle number 003, where they have to cross this river to reach the castle. Uh, before they got to the cabin, they were trying to uh, stop the wolves from attacking them with some handy cages, oh, which yes. were hanging from trees. And you said at this point... Scoffing. They could just trap themselves in these cages. But that was the puzzle. You solved the puzzle without even knowing it. Yes, mm-hmm. they decide to land the cages on top of themselves so they could stop the wolves from uh, attacking them because they were the ones in the cages, not the wolves. Yeah, I, I actually must admit, I felt pretty um, embarrassed. that <laughs> 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 I'd, I'd, I'd so cockily said, <laughs> oh, they could get themselves in the cages. That would be funny. <laughs> mm. But being a cartoon, these cages are made of wood and have quite massive holes in them, which a, a wolf could easily um, stick its head through. Yeah, it could at least grab a limb, mm. pull you out screaming. But there's three cages. The group splits off into three, but only one of the par- only two of the parties go inside the cages and uh, the others are left to their fate. Uh, they do survive, ultimately. 
but I did wonder if like the wolves could just go up the cages and yeah again Leighton's just left them behind to fend yeah. for themselves mm. anyway so they're in the helicopter making their way to the castle Loot's quite concerned that the wolves are catching up with them <laughs> but we sort of realized yeah it's not an issue of Speed. Yes. Oh, they're coming, Professor. Oh, this is as fast as we can go. <laughs> it's an awesome... Wolves can't fly, you, you <laughs> dummy. But they reach the castle and they are told to make their way to the courtyard by an ominous voice. It's puzzle 004, which is a case of just, I don't know, choosing the right door, basically. Mm, I think he was losing his... Uh... Imagination at that point. He just ah some letters. Just mm. pick one of these doors. That'll do. He got it off the internet. <laughs> <Yeah>. just, <laughs> just find ten brain teasers that mm-hmm. will um, fill your lunch break. At this point, Leighton splits from Luke to do his own little investigations. He kind of says, "Luke, will you be okay on your own for a while?" <laughs> You you kind of giggled when that happened. Was that because you thought Leighton was off on his way to die? Yeah, I I sort of just thought I'm going to deliberately let myself die so that I can find where all the people go when they die. So again, I viewed it the opposite. I thought you go that way, and I'm because he he, I knew that the puzzle was that Luke solved it wrong. I'm on the end game now, so (laughs) I'm, I'm going to. For the prize. Yeah, because he did seem like he to was the... going to go on his own. Some other of the survivors like follow him and they fall into a pit instead. But mm. yeah, he could have like, this is the end game. Mm. <laughs> this is where I emerge the champion. Yeah, to the victor, the spoils. Yeah. Um, when though, when the people who follow him go down that pit, he does say, I'll come back to you, for you after I'm immortal. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, but Luke and the others, they find themselves trapped in a room and they meet the antagonist, Jean Descalais, who reveals that he is their host and a humble scientist, but a humble scientist with a taste of the theatrical because he wears a a masquerade ball style Mm, mask and a very flowing coat, cape, robe, cloak. We we never see his face. I thought we might get a face, but... At the time, I didn't realise he was a character from the game. So yeah, I wasn't sure either. They weren't going to spoil that. Though they are captured, Luke and Janice quickly flee from the armed guards. But just as they think all is lost, in comes Emmy and Grosky. Yes, they've made it to the island. She yeah. solves mysteries with her fists. Exactly. When Batman encounters the Riddler, he's just could, he should keep punching the Riddler and he'll eventually <laughs> tell him. Meanwhile, Leighton has found Melina, or is it Nina? Everyone is united, reunited with one another, and they make their way to the Grand Chamber, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you call a room you keep an orchestra in. Yeah, well, this is where the instrument, the Detragon, is, is placed, and... Amelia from the group, she is one of the survivors. She was invited to uh, the opera by Oswald Whistler because she was a gifted chess champion, someone who, just like his daughter Melina, was also gifted so that he could share this opera with a special guest. Um, is a an opera singer and a chess player? Um, it's a like, gift. Yeah, but are they both sort of compar- compatible? Well, it's all about compatibility. 
is what Whistler was after. He was looking for a compatible subject. Mm. And this is where we get kind of a big exposition dump. And I got incredibly confused. If you thought me struggling with the names um, earlier was perhaps an indication <laughs> of how much I took away, then you are absolutely right. We've kind of found the best way to describe this bit is to literally read the Wikipedia passage. As Rory said, uh, Amelia is brought to Oswald Whistler, believed to have been eliminated by a previous puzzle, and declares her the winner of the contest, but soon forces her into a machine connected to the Detragon, uh, which is the orchestral machine, and confesses that there's no elixir of life. Leighton and company manage to save her, and Leighton explains the truth. The Detragon is actually a machine that can copy a person's personality and download their memories into another person's brain. Whistler had conspired with Descalais to abduct girls from London and use the Detragon to implant them with his dead daughter's memories as a means of keeping her alive indefinitely. This is the fate that befell Nina, and it is the fate that Whistler had planned for Amelia. Leighton reveals that Janice was also a victim of Whistler's experiments, and that, unbeknownst to Whistler, he had actually succeeded in transferring Melina's memory into Janice's body. It was Melina who sought Leighton's help in stopping her father from hurting anyone else. So, Janice was possessed by the dead daughter of Oswald Whistler. Yep. And then the the spirit of the dead daughter, through Janice, contacted Leighton. Yes, ghostwriter. Exactly. And then the other two named ladies, uh, Amelia and Nina, were, were or were gonna be victims of the brainwashing thing. From I mean, I, I kind of understood yeah. it as it was being said, but there was I no way... I felt it more than understood it. Yeah, there was no way to really explain that any more succinctly. I mean, it's not like you went, oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, there are some... I'm going to give it a bit of a credit, actually. It's, it actually does connect and make sense. There's no Sometimes in a badly written mystery, you have to make a, a logic... I say a logic jump or, or make some big assumptions, but it does connect, but it's very convoluted. In terms of similarity to the games, when you do have the big reveal and you work out what the antagonist's plans are or what the big mystery is, it does seem that very often it is tied into smaller stories. It's very much about personal issues or family or there's some kind of emotional drama which is behind it it's not someone wanting to take over the world it's usually something a bit kind of more poignant i feel like in that way this does feel like another case for professor layton it does very much capture how the games play out as well although incidentally this whole plot by oswald whistler not exactly too dissimilar to the professor in mewtwo strikes back trying to clone Pokemon DNA in order Mm -hmm. to bring back his dead daughter. Now that Whistler is kind of out of the picture in that his plot has been revealed, Destillet reveals his hand. Mm -hmm. And the reason why he wanted Janice slash Melina was so that she could sing the song of the sea. 
and he can play on his big organ machine. Play of his big organ. Very much so. (laughs) He can play A Song of the Stars, which is actually found in the seal of Ambrosia. There is music, Mm -hmm. musical notations on the seal. So he believes he can resurrect Ambrosia by her singing while he performs on his big organ. Yeah, that tracks. Yeah, and you just just roll with it. So he then launches his organ onto, I guess, a platform mm-hmm. in the in the air. Meanwhile, the rest of the castle is falling apart. The wolves are attacking our heroes, and she has to sing the song. Otherwise, he'll basically let the wolves eat our friends. And people are building um, opera houses and castles, which. Seem with seemingly with the express purpose of being destroyed. Maybe they just don't pay for very secure construction, so they know it can fall apart really easily because they're going to self-destruct the thing anyway. Mm, but maybe, just very cheap concrete. Surprisingly enough, this song doesn't work. Yeah. And she only sings it for like 10 seconds, five. He gets, he's very impatient considering that he's been so patient putting all these other parts of the plan together. Mm. He sort of feels like, no, this has to happen right now it's not too dissimilar either to lugia's song in yes. pokemon 2000 i know they do like a theme don't they uh, does seem anime like directors. just singing the right song will mm. resurrect something but it does seem like the sort of thing that you should check before you build a floating opera house and a castle and a, and a mind wiping machine at this point he is so frustrated his old um i want to call him desro is that his name? Descale. Descale. I was thinking of um, Desiree. Desiree, or I was thinking. Life no, I was life. thinking of Christopher Eccleston in GI Joe. Destro. Destro. <laughs> yeah, I forgot um, about Destro. <laughs> Destro. What's he called again? One more time. Descale. Descale. I'm writing this on my hand. Like Descaler in French. <laughs> Descaler. Okay. So Descale is so um, annoyed that his big plan has not worked that he decides to activate his giant robot. Yeah, it's anime, so got a mech. Yep. Um, actually, he didn't know that a mech was going to appear, but as he was pulling levers and uh, bits of the castle was falling off and gears start to turn, I said to Rory, I would be very surprised if it's not a giant robot. And then out of the castle, two massive pincers appear. Snappy, snappy, snappy. Yeah, it's a robot. Have you seen Batman Ninja? No. That's hilarious. It's actually a lot of fun. And um, there's things like Himeji Castle turned into uh, giant robots at the end. Oh, like like a building transformer, like in big. Yeah. And, you know, there's it's just, it absolutely wishes to entertain it. And, but it's also very stupid. There's bits when... Oh, it is also very stupid. It is also very stupid. Not castles turning into giant robots. Batman That's in, okay. Batman and his rose gallery get sent back to feudal Japan um, because of a gorilla sent them there. And um, at one point, uh, ninjas show up with Joker face paint and uh, green hair. And the world's greatest detective asks, who sent you? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I you know. So up until this point, okay, we'll talk about um, thoughts about the film at the end, I think. But... You can't argue with the fact that all the latent elements, such as puzzle solving and things, kind of disappear here. Yeah, they fall a little bit by the wayside in favour of action and ass-kicking. And we've seen that 
you know, hundreds of times with the giant robots and the sword fights again. The robot looks all right, but the sword fighting animation is 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 not exactly super impressive. It's kind of standard. Um, I get it does sort of turn into a platform game though, because uh, Luke climbs up the side of the robot, jumping from out uh, outcropping to outcropping um, with this funny little platform music, and uh, Luke eventually does land very hard on <laughs> some metal, and I just was worried about his pelvis. Really, he looked like it looked like properly proper permanent damage. But uh, he, he dusts yeah. himself off. Like Destillet, I guess. I mean, he's just so angry. I guess he's still trying to find Ambrosia because his plan didn't work to resurrect it. So he's just tearing at the landscape and felling trees. Or I'm not. I'm not sure exactly why he's just destroying mm. all that surrounds. And this is where Leighton reveals that there is a third bit of music hidden within the uh, uh, seal. You just need to turn the seal upside down. And then he decides to play it. And I just wondered, ooh, you know, it'd be a good idea not to give the villain what he wants. <laughs> the, yeah, just like... Or just shut up. <laughs> Don't mention it. It's Does he still want eternal life? Does he want to reveal um, Ambrosia? Well, and... we, we know there's no such thing as eternal life. He knows... Yeah, but I don't know. Oh, it's no. like, I'm not sure where... Like, I, I think he knows there's no elixir of life, but he still wants to reveal Ambrosia. But surely thwarting the villain is more important in this moment. I guess if you ask Leighton to solve a mystery and then the mystery is revealed to be a fraud, he can't stop until he's solved <laughs> it's like, a mystery. It's like Chekhov's gun. Mm. It's just like you can't introduce a puzzle at the start of a play and then let Leighton not solve it by the end. I sometimes wonder what would have happened in the Terminator if the Terminator arrives to kill Sarah Connor, but then she has a car crash on the way home one day or she... Um, yeah, you know, it's a little moped she's on, and then what does the Terminator do? He just sort of keeps on going until he kills the Sarah Connor. I just, I, yeah, just kills all the Sarah Connors in the world, mm. just to be sure, just to be on the safe side. But so yeah, he he ends up playing the music, the the song of the sun, I think it is. So now the song of the sun, the song of the stars, and the song of the sea, they're all playing. Crucially, also the song seems to be a lot longer. And it did make me think, you know, maybe they should have just tried singing those other songs just a little bit longer and see what happens. This in, in sen- it starts to work. The city starts to rise. D- Descalais says uh, he's in- incensed and he goes, um, Ambrosia is mine and mine alone. What did he want with the island? <sighs> I forget. I, I mean, again, it's one of these episodes where we watched the, the episode. We watched it. Not so long ago. If he's going to charge lots of money for people to attend his <laughs> opera, it's just like he wants to charge, mm. you know, make it a tourist attraction and charge lots of people to go visit. That's true. I'll turn it into a dinosaur park. <laughs> but the castle, the robots, ends up falling into the sea. Descalet falls off the robot, yeah. and I'm assuming he survives because this is like in the middle of a trilogy which he starts in. So after the robot falls into the sea and the ruins of Ambrosia have been revealed. Melina basically bids her father farewell as she departs Janice's body. But, you know, Oswald oh. does still have to get his comeuppance in the but, sense that he is arrested. Uh, the inspector appears and he says, um, I'm afraid I'm going to have to arrest you. And then Oswald says, could I just please play 
one more song. And he's like, can I please play my brainwashing machine one more time <laughs> before you arrest me? I don't see how that could be any problem. <laughs> and you could have just wiped the memories of everyone present and got away scot-free. Hmm. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah, Luke then says, so another mystery has been solved. And um, I really want Clayton to go solved. Yeah. Solved enough. <laughs> it's like, I'm bored of this mystery. Is there anything left to solve? So the secret of Ambrosia wasn't eternal life. The Ambrosians live forever because we remember their beloved queen. So that's it. And another mystery has been solved. Hey ho! We cut back to the uh, present day, and Janice, real Janice, not possessed Janice, walks in. I guess they're waiting for her. But yes, this has all been a bit of a flashback, and now they're off to have some. I'm assuming tea and cake with Janice. Or there's another mystery to solve. Yes. What did you, the Professor Layton Ultra fan, <laughs> think of this adaptation? As I mentioned at the start, I've been enjoying returning to the world of Professor Layton by playing the uh, Phoenix Wright Professor Layton game recently, because, you know, I haven't been playing my 3DS very much at all, so to dust it off and give it a go um, and be drawn back into that world has been a delight. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this film is a very good encapsulation of why I enjoy the games. Obviously, there are puzzles, and while there is a degree of being able to solve them as you watch the film, it's not clearly as interactive as the game, but it definitely feels like a, a just another chapter, a continuation of the series. It's not really like an adaptation in the sense that they didn't have to change anything, probably just to how incorporate the puzzle element into the story. But the games do that themselves, I enjoyed it a lot, and I look forward to the Dr. Kawashima brain training movie mm. um, in due course, where there's a disturbing giant Kawashima head bobbing around and coming after you if you don't solve his Sudoku. I'd like him to be sternly looking down at the audience for a full 90 minutes. <laughs> get it, and, his, um, and his expression just gradually, gradually, gradually gets sterner and sterner and sterner and the very last frame is like a silent scream. <laughs> and, then, and then instead of credits, sums. Yeah. I feel that the last act really um, lost it for me, sadly. I think the, um, the the revelations of the possessions, It's even that was kind of a bit wishy-washy. I feel like it might be just a cultural thing because I, I feel like it was... the. The, the sort of storytelling of Japanese anime sometimes does go down this sort of route where things like reincarnation and possessions is treated as an absolute given. That's not, I mean, it's again, it's fantasy. <laughs> I mean, it's not like, oh, I don't, I'm not going to buy this Lord of the Rings stuff because a wizard clearly can't come back after they've fallen into a pit. It did kind of lose me, but I did enjoy everything beforehand. I think I'm just because I'm not a player of the game's um, I could only judge it on, on the story and the characters and they were kind of charming and a bit fun and things I didn't quite understand like Luke's nascent animal talking ability was like that's probably a game thing <laughs> but you know saying that as 
I only can compare it to the other animes that I, I watch, like you know, Ghibli and, and things. And I feel like I'd rather spend time in those worlds. I think it was good. Um, I think I, I did enjoy it. But if I watched it a second time, I think I might stop after the machine, after the big reveals. Because uh, that's the end of the mystery. No, I, I do agree. I think it does suffer from reveal fatigue. I think once you have mm. all these revelations piling on top of each other, that's when the film gets dull. And then the climax with the robot at the end is just unnecessary. If this film was only an hour long, mm. perfect, very happy, have the reveals, plot thwarted, end of the day, back home in time for tea and biscuits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it does run out of steam and it does leave the film... Uh, feeling a little bit baggy at the end, even if the running time overall is is fairly short. So, yeah. Just maybe after an hour, our brains have been so taxed by puzzles. <laughs> it's just it's too much. Just too much to take, too many puzzles. Mm. What film are we doing next? Well, because we are approaching the one-year anniversary of the Games on Film podcast... Ooh, cool, Professor! I know, crikey, blimey, Charlie O'Reilly. Yeah, I'm <laughs> called Luke, Professor! <laughs> yeah, that's your name, Luke. We have decided that we're going to return to the world of Lara Croft, but this time it won't be the Alicia Vikander Lara Croft, it will be the Angelina Jolie Lara Croft. Mm. Yes, we're going to be doing Lara Croft Tomb Raider. So until then, how can people... Keep in touch with us. Well, you can find all kinds of links and information and fun stuff at our website, which you can access gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast or tinyurl.com slash gofpod. Or you can just find us direct on Facebook, Twitter. We're at gamesonfilmpod at both destinations. You can email us gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com and you can find all episodes on soundcloud.com slash gamesonfilmpod. If you want to contact us individually, I'm on Twitter at Rory Steele. I'm at Only Man Who Can. And the music for this episode was composed by David Lightfoot. Do you have anything you'd like to plug, Harry? If you just Google Harry Steele Comedian, you'll find me. I do stand-up comedy. You can also find me if you search for Gamer Disco on the social media channels. And you can check out our regular music and video game club nights and events. So find out more about Gamer Disco there. And we've got a little bit of exciting news to share as well. We are soon going to be doing our first live episode of Games on Film. Yeah, have the same professionalism that you (laughs) see and hear on this podcast, which you don't actually see. Yeah, very exciting to bring the show out uh, into the real world, IRL. (laughs) And when is it going to be on? We're going to be at EGX Resd in the Fringe Theatre on Thursday the 4th of April at 4pm. Get tickets to EGX Resd, which is a great game show. You can try out lots of indie games um, before they're released, as well as see developers talk about their games and... Discuss films which are based on computer games, apparently. Yes, Yes, join us then. Mm. Well, I think another mystery has been solved. Yes, a true gentleman always listens to games on film. That's right. I've been Harry. I've been Rory. I've been Luke. 
And I've been Professor Layton. Bye! Bye.